December 22nd, 2021, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Daf Mem Daled Amud Aleph. When the lines get wider, before they get wider, it's the second line down, and it's the fifth word on the line. Amar Av Nachman, Amar Rav. We're in the midst of talking about Yehoshua's reaction to Achan, what happened with Achan. Achan, of course, was Mu'il Baharim. And then his reaction to that, we read a pasuk, just yesterday, which described how he, in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Vayatsikum Lifnei Hashem. He took the possessions of Achan and the way the rabbis understood it, he threw them down in front of God and he makes a bold claim against him. He says, is it because of this action, because of these things, that Rubashel Sanhedrin, that the majority of Sanhedrin perished? And the Gemara had a debate, was it actually 36 people, as the Pasuk says, that died in this war against the Ai as a result of what we understood to be the sin of, of Achan? Or was it alternatively an individual who was Shakul Keneged Rubashel Sanhedrin, that was Yair ben Menashe. Either way you slice it, Yoshua had a bold, audacious claim. He throws down these, uh, these uh, properties, these possessions in front of God and says, is it because of this? The Gemara picking up on that bold and audacious claims of Yoshua says, my dikhtiv, the statement of Rav, what is it when the Pasuk says in reference to, well, not fully clear in reference to, a tahanunim yidaber rash ve'ashir ya'ane azot. Pasuk refers to both tahanunim and azot. Tahanunim, like what we say every day, supplications. That's heartfelt, with your head bent over a little bit. Uh, azot is a reference to something strong. Strong, fierce. So it's two different types of ways of approaching another. Of course, we're going to be talking about approaching God. And the Pasuk says that the rash... The lowly one, the poor one, will speak tahanunim. That's the way in which they'll approach you. They'll beseech you. They'll beg. The rich one, the wealthy one, they'll be able to speak azot. They'll be able to speak fiercely, audaciously, in your face. Who are each of these parts of the pasuk referring to? Say the hachamim tahanunim yedaber rash Moshe. The first part of the pasuk, when we refer to that lowly, destitute individual who speaks tahanunim, that's the way, I guess oftentimes, Moshe came in front of God as a lowly, destitute individual uh, requesting, be, um, beseeching in his, in his prayer. Ve'ashir ya'ane azot, who's that a reference to? Ze Yehoshua. That's a reference to Yehoshua. Which act of Yehoshua? When did Yehoshua speak fiercely, with audacity, with courage? Says the Gemara What's the reason that you refer to Yehoshua as that wealthy individual who comes forth in front of God with demands, so to speak, or with strength? Maybe it's because of Mishum Dichtiv, because of that Pasuk that we saw yesterday. Maybe it's because, as we discussed yesterday, as the Hachamim understood yesterday, Yehoshua, as they reconstructed the scene, comes in front of God, he arrives on the scene and he takes the matters through throws them down in front of God and says, is it because of this we lost the war? Or is it because of this we lost lives just because of one person's wrongdoing, because of a little bit of enjoyment and property and possessions? Come on, God. Well, that is audacious. Says the Gemara, it is audacious, but is it more audacious than Pinehas's reconstructed understanding of the Hachamim, what Pinehas did? Atu Pinehas la'aved hache. Do you mean to tell me, Atu, do you mean to tell me Pinehas, the Pinehas we know, Ben El Azar, Hat Kohen, did he not do similarly? Well, Pinehas we know, Pinehas we know from Parashat Pinehas, but we know from the 
end of Parashat Balak. Pinehas is the individual who finds Zimri and Kozbi sinning, and he spears them, Bakuba, he knows how to go after them. Now, is that anything that he does to God? That's a fierce, audacious act that he does, Neged Ha'am, as the people are watching. He does risk his life by getting involved with important individuals, both from Am Yisrael and from outside. But what does that have to do with his audacity with regards to prayer, with regards to how he speaks to God? Well, we have a derasha from yet another pasuk, which invokes the name of Pinehas. It's a pasuk not in Mishle this time. It's a pasuk in Tehilim. Vayamod Pinehas vayfalel. The pasuk vateaser hamagefa. So vateaser hamagefa. So the pasuk says Pinehas gets up and he's vayfalel. We'll define that word in a second. Of course, that's going to be the most important word. And as a result, the magefa, the plague, stops. Now we know what Pinehas does in the explicit Torah, not in Tehilim. He fights. He kills. What does it mean, vayfalel? It means he didn't just kill in order to stop the magifa, he did something more. So maybe the word vayfalel is milashon tefillah. Ve'amar bil'azar vayitpalel lo ne'emar. The pasuk doesn't have that reflexive activity of tefillah. That's not a reference to regular prayer. Ela vayfalel. Rather it says the word vayfalel without the taf, which is significant. Now what does that word mean, pilul, without a taf? We do know that word from one or two other places. The one that comes to mind is the beginning of Sefer Shemuel. The beginning of Sefer Shemuel, you have a reference to Shemuel reprimanding his sons. Excuse me, Eli HaKohen reprimanding his sons. Hofni and Pinehas, ironically, one of their names. And he talks to them over there about the difference between transgressions between human beings and between God and human beings. Ben Adam Lahaveron, Ben Adam Lamakom. And he says, listen, if you did something wrong to another person, Ufilelo Elohim, if I remember correctly the word. In other words, you'll come to court and they'll settle it. You can rectify that. When you sin against God, there's no easy way to rectify that, to have judgment. The word in turn, vayfalel, has something to do with judgment, something to do with deen. What's Pinehas doing in the realm of deen? How's he involved in any way, shape, or fashion in such a... Such a Art with God. After all, he's dealing with people, he's dealing with God. This teaches that Pinehas has a judgment against God. How so? It's almost identical in the reconstruction of the rabbis to what happened with Yoshua and Achan. He takes, but not the possessions, but rather Zimri and Kosbi, who are right here on, their, uh, on the skewer. He brings them, he I guess had a lot of strength, and he throws them down in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You have to imagine around the Mishkan area. Because of these two yo-yos, I hate to say it another way, I don't know the better way to say it, because of Zimri and Kosbi, because of their wrongdoing, 24,000 people should die from Am Yisrael, because after all, that's what the Pasuk says. Or Aleph. So the Pasuk says that 24,000 people died. So, in other words, of course, there is a question on this, and that is that Am Yisrael and Mass were sinning at that time period. Okay, but the Gemara understands, based on their reconstruction of the story, not as many people would have died. And it's really because of Zimriam Kosbi or because of the outliers that specifically so many people died. But what, for our purposes, why is the Gemara mentioning this? Well, again, we had the Yehoshua statement. We had the Yehoshua reconstruction that Vayasikum Lifne Hashem, he throws them down and he makes a demand or he makes a bold claim against God. Says so the Gemara, is that what we refer to when Rav told us that Yehoshua had audacity, that Yehoshua 
Yeshua was the Ashir who's medaber azot, who's able to speak fiercely in front of God? Well, I don't think so, because then why would you choose Yoshua as opposed to Pinehas? Both Yoshua and Pinehas in the reconstructed tales of the Hachamim have similar approaches to God. Yes, Shalom. The word by Yikhalil, in this week's Parashas, is Yaakov, Yes. Yeah, I gotcha. Important conversation to be had on another occasion. I'll, I'll help you through it. I'm not fully certain. You have it in another context as well. You have it with tefillin, which we yeah. wear every every day, uh, and which not fully. I mean, there has to be a different interpretation in each case. You have to wonder what the sad hashaveh is. We'd have to work it out together more than anything. I've thought about it on more than one occasion, because keep in mind it has the same shortage as tefillah as well. Yeah. Who are you judging in tefillah? Are you having a judgment of, are you having a self-judgment? I mean, these are all important questions to be had. But re'ol fanecha lo filalti v'nehrauti is just as important. But it's last week's parasha. So oh, just go, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Of course. And says, says Teddy, furthermore, he says that he knows the Gemara Masech Berachot has this pasuk being invoked in the context of prayer. But our Gemara is invoking it in the context of judgment, which means there has to be some sort of sad hashaveh between them. It has, to do, it has something to do with a hope. Of, and something to do with the inability. All have to do with some common denominator. First and foremost, in terms of judgment and prayer, that's what has to be argued. It has to be argued that prayer is some sort of self-judgment. In other words, that's how I've, I've generally understood the association between these two uh, specifically. Self-judgment means that I'm speaking to God, and as I speak to him about myself and make requests about myself, I'm in turn introspecting as well. Now, that's not the only function of prayer, but that's a fundamental function of prayer. Okay, anyway, says the rather, perhaps, the claim of Yehoshua that was fierce and bold was the following, that uh, he turns to God and he says to him, Lama ha'evarta ha'avir et ha'am hazeh et ha'yardin. He says, in this context, so why is it, God, that you even brought us past the Jordan River. You shouldn't have brought us into the land of Israel. You know something? We would have been better off, so to speak, in the desert. Well, that's a fierce, bold claim. Says the Gemara, come on, his predecessor didn't do just as much. Moshe uh, turns to God at the beginning of, uh, of, of this week's parasha, next week's parasha, parashat Vayera, right? It's this week's parasha? I'm not up to it yet. At the end of Shemot Perekeh, he turns to God and says, why did you do so? At the end of Shemot, this week's parasha, he says, turns to God and he says, why did you do bad for us? Why, uh, why didn't you just leave them alone? In other words, this is at the moment during which, of course, the end of the parasha, it's at the moment when the Egyptians are doing worse to Am Yisrael than before Moshe arrived on the scene. So he turns to God and he says, we would have been better off, quote unquote, had you not gotten involved. Not so different than Yehoshua. In other words, we're contrasting Yehoshua to Moshe and saying Moshe has the Tahanunim, Yehoshua has the Azot, but Moshe didn't have so much different. Yehoshua, uh, at the end of the parasha, turns to God. What's that? On many occasions, says Sharon, but specifically like this. Why did you do? Why didn't you stay at Ela Mehacha? Rather, perhaps it's because of the following. Velu ho'alnu vaneshev be'ever hayerdin. Rather, it's because of that claim. It's not so much that why'd you bring us over here, but so to speak, we would have been 
better off just settling down in Ever Hayerdin. So uh, he's, he's not claiming that, um, he's claiming above and beyond, above and beyond the, uh, the, the why'd you do this to us, why'd you bring us in here, it's going beyond. So not only why'd you bring us in here, but we would have been better off over there. You might appropriately say Moshe has similar statements as well. I guess the combination of all these statements together, Yahushua has, in the eyes of the Hachamim, in the eyes of Rav, a certain fierceness, he's unyielding, he's un- he, he comes at God and makes the claim, we would have been better off had we stayed there, had you not brought us over here. All those statements together are a certain strength and force that he brings forth. All right, well, once the Gemara has these conversations of Yehoshua and wrongdoings of Yehoshua, they say, well, let's, let's go at all the things that Yehoshua perhaps did wrong. They won't have a very long list. They won't be able to, to, to scratch the surface and find all that much. But there's another well-known one, more specifically from the beginning of Masechet Megillah, the following, the Pasuk says, Vayomer Adonai El Yehoshua Kum Lech. Oh, before that, before the next one, I'm sorry. The Masechet Megillah one is, to, is coming up ahead. Here's yet another one, so there's two more wrongdoings. But God says to him, in that context, uh, as Yehoshua as makes this claim against God, God turns to him and says to him, Kum Lech, get up and go. Now that sounds a little str- a little, little, little strong as well. I'll just say to him, go and handle it. Kum lech. It's almost as if it, it's almost as if Yehoshua is doing wrong. Excuse me, kum la. It says, get up for you. So the claim of God to Yehoshua in this context is, get up for you. In other words, your wrongdoing is almost tantamount to what was r- done wrong by others. You're making claims against me. Something you've done is almost just as much bad. Kum lach, you yourself should get up. He turns to him and he's not saying, as I read it initially, get up and walk. He's rather getting up you. Your own wrongdoings is almost or is just as bad as their wrongdoings. And of course, this is in the context of Achan. You, Yoshua, have done just as bad as Achan, really. I said, I told you that as you pass into the Jordan, you will erect these two stones and you'll and you'll, you'll, you'll cover them with uh, what's it called lime and you'll then write on them. You'll write the Torah on them. Of course, this is what we know as having taken place at Har Eval and Har HaGerizim. Yoshua tra- tra- uh, traverses the, the the Jordan River makes his way into Eretz Kenan, and he or Ever Hayadin rather, and he now erects these things. I just told you the second you cross over, I want you to put up these stones, and I want you to write the Torah, and I want you to teach the people. Vatim, vihaktem shishimil. You guys distanced yourself. You went sixty mil in. Uh, that's your wrongdoing, Yehoshua. Uh, is that a good claim against Yehoshua? Asks Tosafot. I don't understand what he could have done differently. You told him. I don't know. Ask, ask Tosafot, I don't understand what he could have done differently. They certainly did travel. I don't know if it's Shishimil, uh, Peshat. Ask Tosafot, you told him to do it on Har HaGerizim, on Har Eval. He found Har HaGerizim, Har Eval, and he put them up over there. So he did wrong that he didn't do it immediately after tra- tra- uh, traversing the, the, the Jordan River. Uh, where do you want him to do it? 
you, he was going to have to go against one thing, either immediately or not on Haragrizim Haragvel. Suggests to Osafot, based on a machloket between Tanaim and Masechet Sotah, that perhaps the circumstances were such that he could have, so to speak, erected his own. He could have put up his own Haragrizim Haragvel. He could have put up two clumps of dirt and had these being them. I mean, I think the general, the, the easier understanding is this is probably a mountainous range. In other words, we're dealing with mountains throughout. So this is all the tributaries of sorts of Haragirizim Hareval. Instead of finding the strongest, tallest ones down off in the distance, you could have found the ones a lot closer. I know them in the mountain range of Girizim Hareval. You could have done them immediately after passing. Okay, that's the claim against Yoshua. Batar de Nafak, so this was the statement of Rabbi Shila. After Rabbi Shila goes out, in other words, he leaves the Midrash, he made this statement. He says, Kum lach is a claim against Yoshua. What did Yoshua do wrong? He didn't do these, these avanim immediately. Ukim rav emora ale. Rav stood up and emora, emeturgeman, he has an individual stand up. And uh, oftentimes what the Emoraim would do is they'd have someone stand in front of them or at their side. They'd turn to them, tell them the words they want to say, and that person would project it for the audience. It was a human microphone. So Rav turns to this Emora, this individual, who's going to, going to be Omer, he's going to tell the people, Vidarash and Rav disagrees with that which Rav Shisha said earlier. Bishila, excuse me, Bishila said earlier. Bishila had this statement of Yoshua's wrongdoing. Rav says, wait a second. The Pasuk says, and he teaches all the people, so it's as the rabbi Bishila walks out. He says, wait a second. The Pasuk says, Kashe siva donayat Moshe avedu. Ken siva Moshe et Yoshua vechen asa Yoshua. Lo yisi davar mikola she siva donayat Moshe. Pasuk is quite clear quite explicit that Yeshua's approach was directly following the ways in which he was commanded from Moshe, from God, and you're telling me that he did wrong in the way that he erected these stones and wrote on them? He should have done it in a different way? I don't think so. The Pasuk is quite explicit. It goes out of its way to tell us how clear-headed the approach of Yeshua was as a continuity of the way of Moshe from God. Says Rav, well, if I'm right, well, then what do I do with the Dirashav Rabbi Shila? Rabbi Shila did read a Pasuk. The Pasuk did say that God's retort to Yoshua in that context was, Yehoshua, kum lach, you yourself needs to, need to get up. It's not only the nation, it's not only Achan who has sinned, you yourself has sinned. So don't tell me it was the sin from earlier, says Rav, but he must have done something wrong. Amar talahem. Says God to Yoshua, this is your fault. Why is it your fault? It goes like this. As Rashi fills in, as the end of the Pasuk really fills in, it goes like this. Says God to Yahushua, you know something? I never said no benefit from the city of Yericho. This whole mess that we got into because one individual took benefit from the spoils of war against Yericho, it's all your fault, Yoshua. I know you had the right intention, but you never should have made that bold and for the people at that time, apparently inappropriate restriction. The fact that you said no getting any benefit from the bizata ha'am in Yericho, that's what caused this whole issue. As a matter of fact, when they go and they fight against the eye, God turns Yoshua, as this pasuk goes on, to tell us and says, go fight against the eye, just like you fought against Yericho, but this time the end of the Pasuk says, get benefit from the spoils of war. 
In other words, the claim against Yahushua, the Kumlach, was, so to speak, you're somehow connected to the downfall of the people, to, to Achan's sin in this context. It's reminiscent to me of the uh, primal sin, as Rashi and the rabbis have it in the Torah. The, the Hachamim, searching carefully and with, with other understandings of the simple uh, storyline in, in Bereshit, understand that, well, on the one hand, God says to Adam and Hava, don't eat from this tree. When the Nahash approaches Hava, Hava explaining their restrictions says we're not allowed to eat from it or touch it. Wait a second, where'd the touching come from? Osifa mida'ata, says Rashi. They added this on on their own. Why'd they do so? As a restriction, as a gezera, as a siag. As the Midrash has it, Rashi cites it. The Nahash then pushes Hava onto the tree. She touches and it says the same way you didn't die from touching it, so too you won't die from eating it. Fundamentally, beyond the depth, but fundamentally the most surface understanding, the surface interpretation of what the rabbis are teaching over there is the care and, and precision that you need to have as you construct and erect restrictions. Restrictions are important. Restrictions sometimes, like mukse, can describe and determine the sanctity, the, uh, the identity of the day. But at times, and it does happen in our own lives when we make restrictions for ourselves, outside of halacha even, at times when the person or the people are not at the point or won't be able to appreciate the restriction in the way that it's being set forth for them, the restriction could be more detrimental than as an aid which it was purposed to be. That's what God is claiming to Yehoshua over here. That's in turn what the Hachamim are saying over there. They're not saying Gezerot and Siagim of the Hachamim are silly. That's not their statement. Their statement is the Hachamim do them very carefully, and in turn, we should be doing them very carefully. It's the statement over here as well. Yehoshua, I'm not telling you this isn't a nice idea. It's always very nice not to get from the spoils of war. We did it in the days of Moshe. It worked over there. Well, the rabbis think maybe it didn't work over there, but it may have worked over there. But ultimately speaking, at this juncture, at this point, I can only imagine why we're in the midst of conquering the land. We don't have all that much to ourselves. We finally approached a city and saw all sorts of good stuff. And you're telling me you want us to hold our hands off it at that time? Yoshua, perhaps you overextended the people. That's the suggestion here in the Gemara. As I said, we're on the, the topic of talking about Yoshua's potential wrongdoings. Continues the Gemara. I'll tell you another one of them. Vayhi bihiyot Yehoshua biricho. It was at the time as Yehoshua was constructing a siege of Yericho. Vayisa enav vayar. He raises his eyes and he sees. He sees an individual. He doesn't know who the individual is. He asks the individual, are you from us? Are you on our side? Are you on their side? On the opposing team side, on Yericho side. Vayomen lo ki sar seva Adonai atabati. Absolutely not. I'm a minister, meaning an angel of God. Atabati, I now came. And the vision, as we'll see in just a few moments, of the Hachamim is that this takes place at night. Why do they think it takes place at night? Probably because Yoshua doesn't see the guy or doesn't see the angel. He doesn't know who this is he's speaking to. If he had clear vision, if it wasn't nighttime, he'd know who he was speaking to. Well, that being the case, he says, so who are you? Are you on our side, their side? He says, no, I'm an angel. He says, okay, and why are you here? That's implicit. He says, atabati. I'm here for atah, for now. 
Uh, what does that mean? It's very cryptic. It's uh, not, not fully clear exactly what took place over here. And as a result, the Hachamim jump in and inject all sorts of details. Yoshua in turn falls to the ground and bows to this angel. Ask the Hachamim, really? How did he do that? Why is he bound? Why is he even talking? Why is he asking who this individual is? Don't you know the statement of You're not supposed to greet your friend at night. Forget about bowing. Forget about how are you engaging in conversation. And the reason you're not supposed to talk to a person at night when you don't know who they are is and the fear is maybe they're a demon. Uh, we'll define those words in just a moment. But for the, for the moments of being, so says the Gemara, how is it possible that Yehoshua is talking to this uh, angel? He doesn't know it's an angel. It might be a shed. Shanei Hatam says the Gemara, it's different over there. Because the statement of the angel was, Because he says to him, I'm an angel of God. And uh, says the Gemara, Maybe the angel was lying. Gemire, we have a tradition. We've learned that even demons won't use God's name profanely. What's that? Indeed. And as it says Judah, that was, that was my next point before dealing with the shade. This was after he asked the question. He asked him, Which side are you on? And then he answers him, I'm Sar Sava. So it's not true that, uh, that, that he knew that he was an angel. What sort of statement is that? So the real issue of the Gemara, it appears, is not the who are you, how are you. The real issue of the Gemara is the engagement in the bowing down. He's actually getting involved in a conversation. That's why I read it that way initially. In other words, it's more the bowing down, the greeting him cordially. That was the issue. The fact that he turns him and asks him who he is. Okay, if he's a shed, if he's a demon, which we'll discuss in just a moment. Oh, he's a demon, you asked him who he was, then you walk away. <laughs> it's that he gets involved in this. That's the specific issue. How's he getting involved in this? How's he bowing down? The fact of the matter is, he answers, Amsar Seva Hashem. He uses God's name. And our tradition is demons won't use God's names. Demons? I don't know. I, I haven't met any demons recently, but I'm not there. Uh, maybe, maybe at some uh, point in the near future. Uh, what's with demons? Well, it's not the first time we've seen demons mentioned in the Gemara. How much are we supposed to pay credence to demons, to Shedim, when the Gemara in several places, it's not just once, not just twice, talks about Shedim to the extent that there are halachot which are built. Here's one based on the existence of Shedim. So there's no simple answer to this question, but Tosafot in Masechet Yoma does Lechem Mishneh's interpretation of Harambam in Perek Gimal Abilchot Shevitat Asor, as well as Yam Shel Shalomo, that's Rabbi Shalomo Luria in his commentary to Masechet Hulin. Each of them state the following. Uh, they say that in our day and age, and they're talking about day and age, over 900 years ago or so, give or take on each one of them, uh, 800 years ago. So in their day and age, they say we don't know of this existence of Shedim any longer. So to now backtrack and determine what was it that the rabbis meant and how was it that they were talking about this, you could do so, but it will be somewhat of a futile attempt. I mean, you don't know what they're talking about because it's no longer a relevant reality to you. But we can sufficiently state each of those commentaries I just mentioned uh, say uh, that in today's day and age we no longer have such an existence, which means to say that the relevancy of many of these laws that the rabbis mentioned in the context of Shedim 
are somewhat lost. Does that mean we shouldn't do them any longer? So the Hachamim argue, generally speaking, no, we should continue to do many of these things. Why are you doing it? If the reason, if the rationale is gone, why are you continuing to do it? And the answer is, once something became a part of our system known as the Halakha system, we generally speaking continue to do it. It becomes indispensable to the identity of a Jew who's practicing. But wait a second, what if I'm in a pressing circumstance where the act which I should be doing or shouldn't be doing is all predicated upon the fact that there are demons who would afflict me if I were to do this? In that circumstance, we would waive it. We would say, okay, listen, since the rationale isn't sound and you're in this situation, so that, that's as a result, Hacham Vadia Yosef, I say all the time, in the context of Netilat Yadayim, he has many kulot. Not uh, more than generally speaking, but his rationale for many of his leniencies when it comes to Netilah Yadayim in the morning is, well, he cites, that's how I know the whole list, Tosafot Masechet Yoman Davayin Zayin, and the Hamishlein Peregim Al-Vilchot Shevitatas, and Yamshel Shalom, he cites these all as a list all the time, and he says, listen, you're in this circumstance, I have a reason to argue for leniency like this, I have a reason. and the whole halakha at its core is because of what's called ruach ra'ah, which is not misuya biyamenu, those are the words they use. As a result, we're not going to be as scrupulous as you want to be in this context. Abu alecha biracha is the way he'll state it, but that's generally speaking the most traditional approach to shedim. Harambam, if you look carefully in his Mishneh Torah, never has any mention of a shed. Again, Lecha Mishneh is picking up on the fact that in that context, instead of talking about a halakha, a shed known as Shibuta, which the Gemara refers to, Arambam entirely leaves it out. Arambam does attempt to rationalize when the Gemara talks about Shedim in specific contexts. When it comes to the morning Shedim, so to speak, in Ruach Ra, it's not so hard because you can inject especially today, you can inject germs in place of demons. In other words, you can say, I understand the practice, it resonates with me. I don't know what the rabbis were talking about, but I can tell you in today's day and age, I can rationalize it very much. I can say, germs are something that I'd like to distance myself from. And as a result, these laws can be conceived within a framework of staying away from germs and keeping myself healthy. Okay, very briefly, so this angel this angel appears in front of him and he asks him what's going on. Torah says the angel to Yahushua, yesterday during the daytime hours, you didn't, you weren't makriv the tamichel ben harbaim. You didn't bring the uh, sacrifice in the afternoon. The kohanim were not appropriate in their service, their worship of the mikdash. I know it's wartime, but you know, you're slacking. And now at night, bitaltem talmud Torah. I see that you're not studying Torah. I know you're in the midst of war, but it's nighttime. You have time off. Maybe you should immerse yourself in Torah. Asks Yehoshua in the reconstruction of this event, which one of those two wrongdoings, not bringing the sacrifice or studying Torah, did you come to reprimand me? Because keep in mind, the angel is standing there, holding a, wielding a, a sword. I came for now. In other words, it's nighttime. The issue is no longer the sacrifice sacrifice which Mitch during the day, it's that you're not immersed in Torah right now. Miyad says the Pasuk, well not really, says the Pasuk as the Hachamim reconstruct construct the Pasuk, Vayalin Yoshua Balailahu Bitoha Emek. Yoshua sleeps that night in the valley. What's the significance of sleeping in a valley? It was that night that he sleeps, that he dwells, that he finds his place in the depths of halakha, of Torah. In short, what the hachamim reconstruct in this context of this conversation, which is cryptic. Read the Pesukim in the Navi. You won't understand at all that this is what's taking place. What they reconstruct is a reprimanding, a rebuke of Yehoshua. Yehoshua, you're 
great leader, you're a fantastic warrior. However, on the spiritual side of matters, perhaps we need to pick things up. Number one, you missed the Korban. Number two, the Torah is a little bit deficient. Says Yahshua, which one are you here for? Atabati, the words of the Malach, cryptic, hard to understand, mysterious. Are, I came because of now, interpreted by the rabbis as, I came because of now, because now there's no Torah. That's the issue. Time to get going on that, Yahshua. Amen, amen.